Hello and welcome into another edition of College Sports Today here on WLRZ at 99.3 FM. I am Hamilton Neal. We again thank you for taking some time to join us this week on the show. It's Thanksgiving week. Hope everyone has had a great Thanksgiving and beginning to the holiday season. It's a great time of year right now. It's a great time for sports. Here on today's show, we'll start by talking some news from right here at Lenore Ryan. Lots of stuff going on in Bears athletics right now. We'll talk Lenore Ryan football, men's and women's basketball, men's and women's soccer, plus volleyball, cross country, and swimming news. We'll also be going over some results from week 12 of college football, plus some men's and women's college basketball recruiting news. But we will get started by talking about the Lenoran football team. The Bears traveled to Bowie, Maryland to face number two seed Bowie State in the first round of the NCAA Division II playoffs, where they fell 31-10. Following a three and out on the Bears' first possession of the game, Bowie State quarterback Jerome Johnson rushed for a 65-yard touchdown on the second play of the series to put the Bulldogs on top early. LR then narrowed the lead to 7-3 on a Chase Alba 40-yard field goal. With the Bears driving looking for another score, quarterback Grayson Willingham's pass was intercepted by Bowie State's Tevin Singleton. He returned it 70 yards for a touchdown. It was the eighth defensive touchdown of the season for Bowie State, number one in the nation. A fumble on the ensuing kickoff set Bowie State up for a field goal to extend the lead to 17-3, going into the halftime break. The Bears' only touchdown of the day came on a Grayson Willingham 39-yard touchdown pass to Jordan Payne. Willingham won 27 of 45 passing for 343 yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions. His favorite receiver was Jordan Payne, who caught eight passes for 127 yards and that one touchdown. The Bears were held to a season-low 103 yards on the ground, 71 of those from running back Dwayne McGee. LR ends the season at 8-3 overall, and 8-6 and all-time in the playoffs. This was the Bears' third straight playoff appearance. Again, just a very tough game overall for LR going on the road against a team like this in Bowie State, who we talked about last week when we were previewing this game. So dangerous on offense, so dangerous on defense. The way that they can play with Jerome Johnson and Khalil Watkins in the backfield, those two had very good games. We mentioned Jerome Johnson on the second play of their first series, 165 yards for a touchdown. Their defense, we mentioned number one in the nation in defensive touchdowns. Tevin Singleton on the interception on the Grayson Willingham pass. That was a play that really set them off, that really got them going, that got them up 14-3. And in the playoffs, you can't afford to turn the football over like that. And you can't afford to make those type of mistakes. LR did make them in this game. And rarely do you see them struggle this much on offense. You know, 10 points is something we never see from this Bears team with all of the talent that they have, Willingham and McGee and Parsons, Jordan Payne had a really good game, but again, it just wasn't enough. They went up against a better football team, a number two seed, one of the best teams in the entire country, and uh, overall just struggled from start to finish. We mentioned only 103 yards on the ground, 71 from Dwayne McGee. You look at the way that LR had played all season and why they were so successful. It was the balance between the pass game with Grayson Willingham spreading the ball around to the playmakers, but also Dwayne McGee running the football. And they could not find that consistently. Yes, they got 400 plus yards of total offense, but most of that was in the passing department. 343 yards from Grayson Willingham, as we mentioned. So again, just a strugglesome game all the way through. However, an outstanding season yet again for the Lenoran football team. Eight and three overall, definitely something to be proud of. And going into next season, there's going to be a lot of change. They lose Grayson Willingham at quarterback. They lose a lot of these other playmakers. They will have Dwayne McGee back. And 
he is obviously going to be a huge part of the future of this football team. But uh, again, just a really, really successful 2021 season, going to the playoffs for the third straight time, just running into a team that was a little bit more complete from top to bottom. Again, Lenoran football falling there to Bowie State on the road, 31-10. to The Lenoran men's basketball team fell to Lee's McRae back last Saturday, 84-81 to at Shuford Memorial Gymnasium. The Bears controlled the game for most of the first 20 minutes, taking a 45-38 lead into the halftime break. Lee's McRae outscored LR 46-36 in the second half and used a late surge to regain the lead with just 18 seconds left propelling them to the win. Drew Gardner paced the Bobcats with 18 points on 7 of 11 shooting from the floor. Lenore Ryan had four players score in double figures, led by Jalen Johnson with 17 points. P.J. Joseph, Nas Tyson, and Sal Wilson all added 11 points apiece as well. The Lenore women's basketball team played two exhibition games in three days against Division I opponents last Friday, November 19th, and Sunday, November 21st. The Bears fell in both games, losing 75-44 at Radford and 68-47 at UNC Greensboro. Brandy Hudson and Emily Harmon paced the Bears in their loss to the Highlanders, scoring 15 and 14 points respectively. At UNCG, it was a strugglesome scoring night. Only one Bear scored in double figures. That was Molly James with 10 points for the contest. Both LR men and women's basketball teams took on Coker on Tuesday night as well. Again, when you look at what these two teams did over the weekend, tough loss for LR on the men's side of things to a very good Lee's McRae team. Just couldn't get enough there late in the contest. It's just about execution and details and focus. And LR is one of the best teams at executing their sets, executing what Coach Sullivan draws up. It's just that they ran into a team late that just had a little bit more. And Drew Gardner was very hard to handle. 18 points, 7 of 11 shooting from the floor. He had it going there. In these high-scoring up-and-down games, it's just one or two shots that's really going to make the difference. Again, Lee's McRae had that scoring surge late with just under 20 seconds left. Just not enough time for LR in that game to get things going with the Lenoran women's basketball team. Two very good efforts against Radford and UNC Greensboro in those exhibition games. We don't typically expect the Division II team coming in, in this case, it being Lenoran, to come in and get the win against that D1. You just want to see how your team competes. You want to see how your team stacks up. They struggled at Radford, losing that game by 31, but they competed much better against UNC Greensboro. And only with one player in double figures, Molly James, with 10, I thought that was a really good performance from LR, especially against UNC Greensboro, only losing that game by 21 as opposed to 31 against Radford. This team has a lot of good pieces. There's a lot of talent here. We know how good Emily Harmon is. Brendy Hudson and Maddie Dillinger have also been very consistent through the first couple of games for this team. And Molly James is a player that I think can come up and continue to produce, get some scoring in and help this team out as well. So there's some pieces here. This is a very good, talented LR team. Again, going up against D1s, you want to see what your team is doing well, what you can do better. And it's just a great opportunity to, to face some really good competition. And they did that again. Lenoran women's basketball falling to Radford 75-44 and UNC Greensboro 68-47. The Lenoran men's soccer team took the field Friday in Young Harris, Georgia for the opening round of the 2021 NCAA Division II men's soccer playoffs where they faced 19th ranked Limestone. The Bears fell to the Saints in the regular season 2-0 back on September the 18th and again faced the same result, falling by a score of 3-2 in double overtime. Carlos Montalio Lobo and Jaime Poza both scored goals for the Bears in the loss. LR ends their season at 10-6-1 overall and 7-5-1 in the South Atlantic Conference. The Lenoran women's soccer team earned a spot in the NCAA Division II playoffs after falling to Queens in the South Atlantic Conference semifinals back on November 12th. In the opening round on Friday, November 19th, they traveled to Salisbury to take on South Atlantic Conference rival Catawba, ranked 10th in the nation. The Bears fell to the Indians 2-0 back in the regular season, 
on October the 6th. After 110 minutes of scoreless action, the game went to penalty kicks. The Bears prevailed 3-1 in penalty kicks to advance to the second round where they took on Queens, the team that defeated them in the sack semis. Karagovgan notched two goals for the Bears in the contest, propelling them to a 2-0 win on the road, also in Salisbury. Govgan scored in the 15th and 47th minutes for her third and fourth goals of the season. She has scored two goals in two different games, with the first being the regular season finale against Carson Newman. Grayson Cameron got her second straight clean sheet and eighth of the year. In the two NCAA tournament games, she has stopped all 13 shots she has faced. The Bears now advance to the Sweet 16 round where they travel to Pensacola, Florida to face off with Flagler on December 3rd at 11 a.m. For just the second time in program history, the Lenoran volleyball team captured a South Atlantic Conference tournament championship back on November 20th. The Bears raced a 2-1 deficit to rally to win in five against Anderson. Taylor Prawl was named the tournament MVP as she finished with 17 kills and 20 digs. Colette Romp led the way with 21 kills for Lenorine, a career-best performance. Emma Clark added a career-high 11 kills as well. The Bears will face off with Francis Marion in the first round of the NCAA Division II Volleyball Playoffs in Anderson, South Carolina, coming up on Thursday, December 2nd. Over to Lenorine Cross Country now. Janet Kwambai earned All-American honors at the NCAA Division II Cross Country Championship back on Saturday, November 20th in Tampa, Florida. Kwambai finished 27th at the Abbey Course to earn her first all-American selection. With her finish inside the top 40, she was selected as an All-American. Kwambai is the first women's racer to qualify for the NCAA championship since 2018 and just the second All-American in program history. And finally, Lenorine Swimming. The Lenorine men's swimming team finished in sixth place in the seven-men field in the three-day fall frenzy hosted by Queens University. Four Bears placed in Sunday finals, then the men's 400 free relay finished the event with an eighth-place finish. LR had two place in the 200 back, Jacob Green finished 5th with a 1 minute 50 second mark, and then Nathan McCormick finished 6 seconds later for an 18th place finish. Michael McRae placed in an event all 3 nights. McRae finished 12th in the 100 free on Sunday evening with a time of 45.92. John Ryan had a 14th place finish in the 200 breast with a time of 2.08. The Bears finished the event with an 8th place finish in the 400 free relay. The team of McRae, Green, Spencer Ashby, and Nathan McCormick had a time of 3 LR will return to the pool for a date at the Spartan Invite from December 17th through 20th in Tampa, Florida. The Lenorine women's swimming team finished in 8th place in a 3-day Queens Fall Frenzy event. LR finished the event with 364 points. Lisa Bornigan got another NCAA qualifying time on the final day of the 2021 Fall Frenzy. Bornigan swam 2 minutes and 5 seconds in the 200 fly to earn the qualifying time, which was her 4th of the weekend. In the AM session, Bornigan swam a 2.07, placing her in the consolation bracket for the final session. She won the heat in the final session to place ninth overall, earning the NCAA qualifying time. The Bears also had two swimmers placed in the 200 breast on Sunday. Kimberly Schreiber placed 10th with a time of 2.22, while Anna Harshaw finished 24th with a time of 2.32. The women will also be in action December 17th through 20th at the Spartan Invite. Again, a ton of stuff there with Lenoran Athletics. Talked about LR football, men's and women's basketball. Great to see the women's soccer team into the Sweet 16. An outstanding run for them, defeating Catawba, defeating Queens, and doing it in very different ways. Penalty kicks in the game against Catawba, scoreless all the way through the game. That's what decided that contest. Very compelling, very exciting all the way through. You look at the second game against Queens, Kara Govgan was outstanding. Two goals. We mentioned in the 15th and 47th minutes of the contest. Now they're in the Sweet 16 taking on Flagler. They're going down to Florida. They've been on the road this whole time. It's going to be interesting to see, now that they're going to get some rest here, how they come out and respond, how they come out, and if they can get another win. It's just one game at a time. you got to come in with a 0-0 mentality. 
Like, we're just trying to go 1-0 and every single game. We're just trying to go 1-0 and every single week. That's what this women's soccer team has done very well throughout the course of the postseason. Really throughout the whole season, but especially this postseason, they've taken things to another level. The men's soccer team just came up short there in their playoff game against Limestone. 10-6-1 overall, 7-5-1 in the sack. Great season for them across the board. Volleyball capturing a sack conference tournament championship title. They're in the playoffs. Jenna Kwambai doing some great things with cross country. And then the swimming teams posting very good finishes at the Queens Fall Frenzy. All of that stuff, very big right now at Lenorine. That's what's going on on campus. That's what's going on with our athletics here. Going to be very exciting to see what all of those teams can do coming up. Now let's go over into our college football segment. Here this week, we're going to work this segment a little bit different than normal. Usually we go over the CFP Top 25. We look ahead to what's coming up this upcoming week. Here this week, we're going to look at some Top 25 scores from this past week, week 12 of the season. It was such a big week. We're going to go over all the results. We're going to take four games break them down for you, tell you all the stuff that happened, and we're going to go back and start with two results from Friday, November the 19th. Number 19, San Diego State took down UNLV 28-20, to and number 24, Houston defeated Memphis 31-13. to Saturday, top-ranked Georgia blew out Charleston Southern by a score of 56-7. Number 2, Alabama took down number 21, Arkansas by 7, 42-35. Number 23, Utah with a shocking 38-7 win over number 3, Oregon, at home. Number 4, Ohio State, romping Michigan State, ranked 7th in the country, 56-7. Number 5, Cincinnati, 48-14 over SMU. Number 6, Michigan, 59-18 over the Maryland Terrapins. Number 8, Notre Dame, blanks Georgia Tech, 55 to nothing. Number 9, Oklahoma State, shutting out Texas Tech, 23 to nothing. The Clemson Tigers upset number 10, Wake Forest, 48 to 27 at home. Number 11, Baylor took down Kansas State, 20 to 10. 12th ranked Ole Miss defeated Vanderbilt, 31 to 17. Number 13, Oklahoma, getting back on track after that loss to Baylor, defeating Iowa State, 28 to 21. Number 14, BYU defeated Georgia Southern, 34 17. Number 15, Wisconsin, 35 28 over Nebraska. Number 16, Texas A&M, 52 3 winners over Prairie View A&M. Number 17, Iowa defeated Illinois by 10, 33-23. Also a 10-point winner was number 18, Pitt. They took down Virginia, 48-38. Number 20, NC State, 41-17 over Syracuse. Number 22, Texas San Antonio, got a 3-point win over UAB, 34-31. And number 25, Mississippi State, defeated Tennessee State by a score of 55-10. Again, those are all of the College Football Week 12 Top 25 results. And what we're going to do now is look at a few of these games and break them down, talk about what happened, talk about what it means for the end of the season coming up. And we're going to start with a couple of games that we previewed last week. Three of these four games we're going to look at, we did preview on last week's show. And we're going to start with number two, Alabama. Again, 42-35 winner over number 21, Arkansas. In this game, quarterback Bryce Young had a Heisman type of performance. 31 of 40 passing for 559 yards and five touchdowns, zero interceptions. Brian Robinson Jr. rushed for 27 yards on 122 carries. Two receivers were over 170 yards for the Crimson Tide. Jamison Williams, eight catches for 190 yards and three touchdowns. John Mechie, 10 catches, 173 yards, and one touchdown. Alabama racked up 671 yards of total offense. Again, 559 of that through the air. Average 8.8 yards per play as well. Again, just a dominant performance from Alabama when you're looking at the stat sheet. Now, on the scoreboard, it was a close game. Arkansas really competed. Arkansas played very well offensively. 468 total yards, 358 passing from KJ Jefferson. They just didn't get enough stops and they couldn't shut down Bryce Young when they needed to. Bryce Young, with this performance, could very well catapult himself 
to the top of the Heisman conversation because Kenneth Walker from Michigan State really struggled in that game against the Ohio State Buckeyes, and we'll talk about that game coming up in a moment. But the way Bryce Young played in this game against a quality team, I think really puts him in that conversation. Now, C.J. Stroud, what he did against Michigan State, also incredible. And again, we'll, we'll talk about the Buckeyes coming up in a minute. Here with Alabama, just very important for them to continue to win games because remember, they have that one loss to Texas A&M they take a second loss, then they're not going to be in a good position for the college football playoff. Now, I know there's some analysts out there saying, hey, well, if Alabama loses by a field goal to Georgia in the SEC championship game, they're still more worthy than Cincinnati. Thinking about Cincinnati as an undefeated team by that time, a two-loss Alabama team that loses a close game to Georgia in the SEC championship game would be more worthy than a Cincinnati team who is undefeated but plays in a much weaker conference and all that stuff. I mean, I see how there could be an argument there, But the way I look at it is, if you win your conference and you're an undefeated team, then you should be in that conversation. You should be in that top four. Cincinnati has a win over Notre Dame. I know none of their other wins are that great. But if they're undefeated and they're a conference champion and they're not put in and say Alabama would get in in that scenario as a two-loss team, then the CFP would again be showing the value of being a power conference team, of playing that power schedule from week to week. It's going to be very interesting to see. Again, like I said last week, there's a ton of scenarios that could play out, a lot of different things that could happen. But again, Alabama has to be careful with that one loss to Texas A&M earlier in the season. And again, the tide rolling, defeating Arkansas 42-35. to Let's go over and talk about Utah now. The Utah Utes, what they did to Oregon in that game back on Saturday, nobody had seen all season long. We had not seen a performance that good from Utah. We had not seen a performance that poor from Oregon. This was coming in the classic trap game. You know, we talk about these highly ranked teams, whether it's football, whether it's basketball, no matter what sport it is, you got a good team on the other side, a team here that was ranked 23rd in the country at the time. This game had upset written all over it from the get-go. And we talked about last week that Utah has a really good rushing attack and that their quarterback, Cameron Rising, has been good enough from game to game. He doesn't have to go throw for 300, 400, 500 yards to go win the game for them because you have guys like Tavion Thomas, you have TJ Pledger, Micah Bernard. This is a very deep backfield. And when you look at the stats here, Thomas had 94 yards and three touchdowns, 21 carries. Pledger, 46 yards on 10 carries. Those two really handled the load for them. The big stat, I think that really tells the story of this game, or one of the stats that tells the story of this game, is when you look at the team stats and go to rushing yards. Utah with 208 on the game compared to only 63 for Oregon. Oregon outgained them in the passing department. They, in a lot of other stat categories, were very even across the board, but it's running the football. Late in the season in November, that's what's going to win you games. And Oregon, since they lost C.J. Verdell, they have not had that burst. They have not had that player, you know, that can come out and, you know, really get the rushing attack going for them. And it's been a struggle. And that's one thing that could hurt them the rest of the way. If they don't have a good rushing attack, then they're going to become very one-dimensional like they were in that game against Utah. And now with two losses in conference play to Stanford and Utah, they're not in the college football playoff mix any longer. As a two-loss team playing in that conference, the Pac-12, you're not going to have a chance to get into the CFP. It's a way different conversation than Alabama with two losses. This Oregon team with two losses as a Pac-12 champion still is not good enough to get in. When you look at the first team they lost to in the Stanford Cardinal, who have had a very, very strugglesome season, and here are getting blown out 
by a team who was much lower ranked than them coming in. Again, tough performance all the way around for Oregon, falling there to Utah. Ohio State and Michigan State. Guys, this game was just all Buckeyes. All Buckeyes from start to finish, from the first possession to the last. 56-7 win. Just an incredible performance all the way around from Ohio State. When you looked at this matchup coming in, number four and number seven, you looked at a lot of different things. For Michigan State, we talked about, hey, they're going to have to get Kenneth Walker going. Peyton Thorne's going to have to protect the football. Their defense will have to get some stops if they want to have a chance to win. They didn't do any of that in this game here. Most of all, their defense gave up everything in this game. Quarterback C.J. Stroud for Ohio State, 32 of 35 passing, 432 yards, and six touchdown passes. Going to the receiving stats, they're just as incredible. Chris Olave, seven catches, 140 yards, two touchdowns. Garrett Wilson, seven catches, 126 yards, two TDs. Jackson Smith and Jigba, 10 catches, 105 yards, one touchdown. 665 yards of total offense. Not only did they have the 449 passing, but they had 206 rushing as well, only to 66 on the other side for Michigan State. Michigan State had absolutely no chance coming into this game. And it's because their pass defense, which is the worst in the nation, gave up everything. And they put their offense in a position where it would be impossible to win that game. Impossible to even compete. Ohio State, to me right now, is the best team in college football. I don't care what anybody says. Like, I understand that Georgia's undefeated and that they're the number one team right now and that Bryce Young is playing so well for Alabama and that they've had a great season and all that stuff. But Ohio State, the way they played in that game, they show they're the best team to me. I mean, if I were ranking, you know, they would easily be ahead of Bama. I know there's that undefeated thing, but since that loss to Oregon, they've been so dominant. They've been the best team in college football. You know, Georgia, they've struggled a little bit. They struggled in that game against Tennessee. Nothing to say for that game against Charleston Southern. That's just one of those SEC bye games. Ohio State, to me, is the best team in college football. They have the best offense. They have a quarterback who's in the Heisman race as well. Talked about Bryce Young. C.J. Stroud is equally in that mix. Six TDs with just an incredible performance. Ohio State playing outstanding football. Again, to me right now, best team in the nation. And finally, Clemson. 48-27 over Wake Forest. This Wake Forest team really has struggled over the last couple of weeks. They bounced back, got a win against NC State after that loss to North Carolina, but they just have not looked the same. They have not had that same edge, that same vibe to them. And this was a game where Clemson really got it going. You know, Clemson all season, we haven't talked about them at all. They've been unranked. They have had a very depleted receiving core. Not many playmakers there on the outside. They do have Will Shipley in the run game, and he played very well in this game. 112 yards, two touchdowns on 19 carries. Kobe Pryor also had a good game on the ground, 191 yards, two TDs. It's just come down to DJ Uyagalale and that receiving core not quite being on the same page. I think they were a little bit more in this game. DJ 11-19, over 200 yards, one touchdown, did throw one interception, but he got touchdown passes to Bo Collins, who had 137 yards receiving. Davis Allen, six catches, 53 yards and a touch as well. Very complete performance for the Tigers, 543 yards of total offense. They were heavily outgained in the passing department, 370-210. to 210. But again, just like with those other two games, with Oregon, Utah, and with Ohio State, Michigan State, the rushing statistics, so one-sided here. 333 yards for Clemson, 36 for Wake Forest. I don't care who you are as a football team, and, and you can be the most air raid offense there is, but if you can't strike a balance, even a resemblance of a balance of offense, then you're not going to have a chance to win. 370 of those 406 total yards were passing. 
I mean, you got to have more balance than that coming in. You got to have more consistency. Couple that with three turnovers, you know, you're just not giving yourself a chance. And again, that was a struggle, some performance for Wake Forest there, falling to the Clemson Tigers again by score 48-27. So that is a look at some of the scores from week 12 of college football, week number 13, the final week of the regular season coming up this Saturday. Now let's wrap up the show with some news from men's and women's college basketball recruiting. A lot going on here over the last week or so. We're going to start on the men's side of things in class of 2023 five-star combo guard Reed Shepard. He has announced his commitment to the Kentucky Wildcats. He's ranked 22nd overall and 5th at his position in the class, according to the 247 Sports Composite. The North Laurel High School star chose the Wildcats over Louisville, Indiana, and Virginia, among others. Shepard is the son of former Kentucky basketball stars Jeff Shepard, who won two national championships with the Wildcats, and Stacey Reed, who is one of the top women's basketball players to have ever come through the program. He's a knockdown outside shooter with great touch and a quick release. He's a consistent playmaker driving the lane and is a good facilitator as well. This past summer on the U17-3 SSB circuit with the Midwest Basketball Club, he averaged 17.5 points per game, 3.3 assists per game, 5.6 rebounds per game, and 2.4 steals per game. Just in that stat line alone from circuit play, you see just how complete this player is playing both one and two positions in the backcourt. And John Calipari is going to have a lot of different options with him. He's going to have the ability to play him at the two, which is where I think he's most comfortable because of his ability to create shots on the outside, his three-point prowess. I think he's going to fit really well at the two there at Kentucky, but the beauty of getting a player like this is you can move him to the one. He does have good facilitating skills. He can pass the basketball. He has vision. So you're looking at a complete guard here with, again, the ability to play multiple spots there. He can dish it. He can score it. Not only is he a good outside shooter, but he has that ability to drive. And that's what a lot of knockdown shooters lack more so is that ability to put their head down and go. And he can do that as well. Again, playing either the one or the two position. So for Kentucky, really a no-brainer to go after this guy. He was a legacy recruit. His parents played basketball at Kentucky. He's now going to carry on that legacy and that tradition in that family, and Kentucky's going to love having him in their system. He's one of those players that you just can't have enough of. You can't have enough shooters. You can't have enough savvy playmakers. That is what Reed Shepard's game is about. And again, he's taking his talents to Lexington, Kentucky to play for John Calipari and the Wildcats. Class of 2023 five-star shooting guard Jared McCain has received three new scholarship offers from Duke, UCLA, and Gonzaga. He is currently ranked 24th overall and second at the shooting guard spot in the class, according to the 247 Sports Composite. His other offers include Houston, Louisville, Kansas, USC, San Diego State, Texas Tech, Texas A&M, Stanford, and Washington, among others. Very fluid passer and shooter of the basketball, good release on his jumper, and tough in the paint while driving has very similar skills to that of Reed Shepard. He has a little bit more balance, though. Shepard is more of that outside shooter primarily. We talked about the fact that he can drive, but he's primarily an outside playmaker. McCain is very balanced in his ability to get on the inside. He likes playing there, but he also has a capable jump shot. I don't think that's necessarily the hallmark of his game. I think really the thing that sticks out about him is he's just so complete between driving and shooting and passing. Just the balance of his game overall is, I think, what programs really like about him. And Duke is one of those schools that's really on him hard right now. They've talked about pairing him in the backcourt with Caleb Foster, who's a five-star point guard commit for the Blue Devils in 2023. Gonzaga, UCLA, those teams 
can never have enough guards. They always recruit heavy in the backcourt. So going to be a very interesting recruitment to see, again, with Jared McCain, three new offers from Duke, UCLA, and Gonzaga. Going over to women's college basketball recruiting news now, class of 2023 five-star point guard Kamoria Arnold has announced her commitment to UConn. She is ranked eighth overall and second at her position, according to ESPN. She chose the Huskies over Baylor, Duke, Florida, Kentucky, Louisville, Marquette, North Carolina, Notre Dame, Ohio State, South Carolina, and Wisconsin. She averaged 22.9 points, 6.3 rebounds, 5.1 assists, and 3.8 steals this past season, leading Germantown High School of Wisconsin to the WIAA Division I State Championship. In addition, she was named the State Player of the Year by the Associated Press and Gatorade, and also won a gold medal with the USA Basketball U16 team in August. She is a very, very talented point guard overall, very talented creator off the bounce, splits the lanes with power, has very good court vision to find the open player, and her mid-range shooting is excellent. In my opinion right now, she is the most complete point guard prospect overall in the class. Malaysia Fulwali from South Carolina is ranked just one spot ahead of her at number seven. Also playing point guard, she's the number one player at the position. I would have Arnold personally ranked higher than eight. I would have her ranked in the top five. The way that she played last season really took it to another level for Germantown, leading them to a state championship. Look at all those other schools that were on her list. Blue Blood programs like Louisville, South Carolina, Notre Dame, Baylor. Go down the line. UConn was just the school that stuck out the most. Really, it was her dream school. She has grown up following UConn, following Gina Oriema in this entire program, and had an opportunity to play for them. And she's now taking advantage of that. And UConn really needs a player like Kamoria Arnold because they didn't land guards in the 2022 class. Paige Beckers probably will, Paige Beckers probably will be leaving after her junior season next season. So coming in to the fall of 2023, they are possibly going to very much need Kamoria Arnold. Again, it depends on whether Paige Beckers stays or not. Whether she does or not remains to be seen at this point. That's still a while away. But, you know, whatever happens in, in the event that she does leave one year early, a player like Kamoria Arnold will be very important to a backcourt that's going to be very deep and loaded across the board. So again, class of 2023 five-star point guard Kamoria Arnold announcing her commitment to the UConn Huskies. So that is our fourth episode of College Sports Today. We talked about a lot of stuff from Lenore Ryan Athletics to college football to college basketball. There's so much going on in sports right now across the country. It is the best time of year for athletics, and we're very excited to bring you more of these episodes in the upcoming weeks to tell you all about them. This has been episode four of College Sports Today here on WLRZ at 99.3 FM. We again thank you for listening tonight. We hope you join us again soon. I'm Hamilton Neal signing off. I'll see you then.